Our scripture this morning is Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. And before we read God's word, let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, your word is the lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Help us to receive your word, calm our hearts and minds so that we may listen and not be distracted by our worldly, uh, our worldly pursuits and the things which make demands on our time. Bless God as he teaches and opens your scriptures to us. Amen. Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The word of God for the people of God. If you received um, a nice engraved invitation to a reception event, it said formal attire, and it was all um, fancy script, you would not go to that event wearing um, a hula girl shirt, shorts, and flip-flops. would not be appropriate to the calling which you received, the invitation. Likewise, if, um, if you got a text from a good friend saying, hey, we're grilling this afternoon, come on over, uh, you would be just as inappropriate to show up in a tuxedo and um, um, use very formal language with your, yeah, uh, with your host. You would not be appropriate to the calling, to the invitation that you received. Um, Paul has finished up a passage where he's gone over um, who we are, what Christ has done for us, how we are uh, received into his kingdom, how we are made um, co-heirs with the people of Israel, how we're now adopted into the family and we're made part of this temple that he's joining together. And he says, uh, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And um, I've, I've mentioned before, anytime you're reading and you start off and it says, therefore, you should look and see what the therefore is there for. And this therefore is to remind you of everything that has come before, God's grace, your salvation by God's grace, uh, who you are. And so what he's saying is we're now living out of our calling. We're living out of who God has made us to be. This word worthy, in a manner worthy, you know, I think we'd read that and, and there's kind of the thought of, okay, well, God's called us now. We need to live up to his moral standard. We need to live up to the law. And that's true. We're God's people. He calls us to live according to his will. But, but I think that the idea here is more of um, appropriate. You know, you, you walk in a way that's appropriate to who you are and the way you've been called. And, and, and so there is the idea of we, we live to a moral standard, but what he, Paul is focusing on here is that our life, our life together and our life with outsiders needs to match the way we have been brought into God's family, the way we've been received by forgiveness, the way that has been accomplished by the Son of God humbling himself, coming and dying on the cross for us, that 
I mean, think about it. You, you, you see news stories of someone like Westboro Baptist and talking about hatred and protesting people and being out and screaming vitriol. And then you look at Jesus and the meekness and the way he welcomed sinners to his table, and you say there's just something not appropriate about a church living out its calling like that. Or we, we hear historical stories of the way the church had power at one time and, and used the power of the sword to coerce people. And we, we hear records of a long time ago with the Crusades and the things that were done in God's name. And we look at Jesus who suffered on a cross, who never coerced. He was gentle and meek. And we say there's, there's something not worthy of that calling. Um, or I turn on the TV now and I hear of uh, pastors preaching about how if you follow, God will bless you with funds and money and health and wealth and straight teeth and everything like that and, and your kids being perfect. And, and I think about a Jesus who had nowhere to lay his head, who was without anything so poor that um, he lived as he was welcomed by others and think there's something not worthy of the calling to get up and talk about God's financial blessings uh, when we follow a Lord. And so all of what he's saying is that it's not, that we who hear this truth, we live out our lives with appropriate. So think about that. We follow one who came to serve are we going to have the attitude that people have to serve me if I follow one who washed feet and came to serve others? If I look at one who himself was of a different ethnicity and the whole passage, this is talking about how we have been welcomed as in Gentiles into the, the God's Israel, can I ever look down on another because of their nationality, their race, their, their language? Can I, can I ever think of others as being further away from God? There's no place that's worthy of calling if we're like that. If I look at one who has forgiven me by grace, can I hold bitterness and a grudge against somebody else? See, all of this is the way we walk that is appropriate to our calling because he took the initiative in reconciling us to himself, and then we live out appropriate to the way we have been invited, just as one would respond to an invitation with appropriate attire, appropriate manners. So here's the, what is appropriate. And I, I, I find this interesting because I would immediately go to personal morality. I don't do these things. I make sure I do these other things. But what Paul looks at is the way you relate to others in the body of Christ. He's going to get on to other things, but he leads with this. Walk worthy with humility and gentleness. Two, two words there that, that talk about our, our looking at ourselves. Um, the, the, the standard Greek dictionary describes this gentleness as the quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Aren't we in a world where people are impressed with their sense of self-importance? 
I mean, we're groomed for it from, from childhood. I, I, how many different blends of coffee can you make? How many different types of Cheerios can you make? How, I mean, everything is suited for your preference. I mean, anybody else go to pick up spaghetti sauce and you get paralyzed? I don't know, what's the difference between Garden Chunky and Chunky? What's the difference between Garden Herb and Garden Chunky? If, if you see me standing still, staring at jars in Walmart, just come nudge me, put something in my cart, and tell me it'll be okay. But see, you, you've been groomed to say that your preference from the moment you're a child with what kind of breakfast cereal you get is what is absolutely important and crucial. But those are people who want our money and telling us that. But, but we're also, I mean, we're just naturally thinking, of, you know, my opinion is better than others. Um, we, we naturally value our own importance. We naturally value, do they know who I am? And so he's reminding us that in Christ, we have to remember you are absolutely valued and loved by Christ. He died for you. You are made in his image. Don't, don't think lowly of yourself. And yet, for a Christ who said um, to love others, to put them before you, we can't look at others who are also created in God's image and who are also covered under his blood and look at them and think, but he loves me a little bit more. <laughs> or I'm a little bit more important to this than you are, that, that we look with humility, we, we value ourselves, but we value others as well, and that our lives together means choices don't always go our way, but uh, you know, things don't always follow completely what suits me, but that's okay, that our, our life together is greater than that, so we have humility and gentleness, and we receive what God has providentially placed in us and trust in his goodness, bearing with one another, uh, with patience, bearing with one another in love. So we're humble and gentle, which makes it a lot easier to bear with patience others. Um, there's been a change in past decade or so in the definition of the word Tolerance. You know, it used to be the idea you, you would tolerate something you disagreed with. Um, we, we used to um, abide by Voltaire's idea that um, I might disagree with what you say, but I will defend with my life your right to say it. That was tolerance. The change that we have made is now tolerance means telling no one that they're wrong. Tolerance means not disagreeing with anyone which is stupid <laughs> because tolerance is bearing with something you don't like, bearing with something you disagree. I do not tolerate a good steak. I love it. I tolerate a visit to the dentist. It's not something I enjoy, but there's a greater good, so you put up with some pain and discomfort for it. That's tolerance. I, I, tolerance means someone you, you know, disagree with, 
but you don't disown them, you don't turn them away, you don't cancel them. You, so the problem is, because we've changed the meaning of the idea of tolerance, we have this idea that you, you can't have any connection with someone you disagree with, that you find intolerable, that, that if we've changed tolerance to not saying anything is wrong or not disapproving, then we kind of act like, well, if something is something I disapprove, then there's nothing to do with me. Or if I don't like something, you know, that I have to like something in order to tolerate it. What I want to get at is when he says bearing patiently with one another, he means people who are difficult to deal with. You don't bear patiently with sitting in the hammock in the sun. You don't bear patiently with being on the beach. You bear patiently with someone who has sinned against you and hurt you. You bear patiently with someone who sees the world in a radically different way. And very often, I think we just kind of breeze over these, and we imagine some kind of ideal situation rather than looking at the idea of tolerance and patience and bearing with others and forgiving others and loving others, meaning real people who really sin against you and who really hurt you. Those are the ones he calls us to bear patiently with. He, he assumes that we are a bunch of sinners who are going to come together and live out life together, and in doing so, we're going to sin against one another. We're going to say things that rub us the wrong way. We're going to view things very differently, and because of that, we're going to kind of bristle against each other. And what he says is in the church, you don't just say, I'm going to have to wait until I find one where everybody suits me and is perfect. But the way we mature and the way we grow and the way we live out being Christ-like is forgiving people who have hurt us, really sinned against us, loving people we find very difficult to love. Being patient with people we would rather not be in the same room with. That's what it means to follow Christ, to bear patiently with one another in love. And then being eager to maintain unity of the Spirit um, and the bond of peace. That, that we want to not just say, uh, you know, I'm, I'll stand over here and, and I'll, I'll, I'll keep coming, but, but that we're eager. We're, we're putting forth the initiative to make sure that we're unified, to make sure that we're together. Now, he's not saying we need unity at all costs. I want to kind of get this out of the way because other places, Paul looks at those who are going against the gospel, trying to add things and works to God's gospel, and he doesn't say, well, you know, we believe this and y'all believe that, but it really doesn't matter what you believe just as long as you kind of love each other and get along. He doesn't say that. He, he actually said, to hell with you. That's how strong he was. He said, you're accursed if you're teaching another gospel. So don't think Paul here is saying, you know, we want to maintain unity and being part of the same just for the sake of being unity. We want to be unified in the Spirit, that we're unified in the same Holy Spirit, that, that unity truly is there, that we're listening to the same voice, we're following the same Christ, we're in agreement on who that Christ is, we're in agreement on what it means to be saved. And within that, and within that understanding of who Jesus is and what He's done for us, and then having that true bond in the Holy Spirit that we have through faith, in there we want to be eager to maintain the bond of peace. That means someone says something 
that you take offense to. It doesn't mean you go home and fester, let it fester and simmer over it. It means you either drop it or go to your brother and sister and work it out. It means if there's a decision made and you disagree with it, you don't keep lobbying for things that, that you don't um, kind of undermine and things, but you, you, you maintain the bond of peace. You take the, the, the initiative that you are eager to do that. Tom Rayner, who um, um, I, I think he's with Lifeway, but he, he, he occasionally puts out a thing on Twitter or something to get responses for people about what um, silly things they've seen. Um, he, he did one on what are the silly arguments you've seen in churches. Here's a few of them. He had a list of 25. Worth looking at, but he said there was a 45-minute heated argument over the type of filing cabinet to purchase, the color and the number of drawers. There was a petition to have all church staff clean-shaven. I will not comment on that one. There were two different church reports over the type of coffee. One, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks brand, and another, they simply moved to a stronger blend. Members left the church in the later. Major conflict over the youth borrowing a crock pot. (laughs) Argument over whether the church should allow deviled eggs. (laughs) Think about it. Some church members left because um, someone hit the vacuum cleaner from them. Well, we laugh. But how silly some of our things are in light of what Christ has done for us. You know, we, we can see those things in others, but with us, the things that we, we bear with and we hold on to, after Jesus has forgiven us, I, uh, Paul earlier used the metaphor of a holy temple that's being joined together. The, the way we're, we're making connections, and those connections form us into this structure where his presence dwells with us. And here's the thing. If we let disagreement, and if we let slight offenses, or we let misunderstandings drive us away from one another so that we don't have that deep connection and we're not expressing that unity Christ has given to us, that temple is not what he intends it to be. Uh, There's something about the idea that Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. And it's absolutely true. If people see a group that enjoys being with one another. As I, as I watched you um, visit and just joy being re- God's relationship, that bears witness to what God is doing in your lives. Uh, compare that to just kind of coming, doing your thing, going home and leaving. And where there's no real connection, your fellowship and the unity of the Spirit bears witness to what God is doing and to who He is. And so anything that undermines that, anything that divides that, anything that breaks that up destroys that witness. And and there's a reason Jesus talked about if we have something against one another that we leave the gift at the altar and get it right because it's not only that our fellowship with one another makes for a stronger group, but it means also that how can I relate to a God who has forgiven me of the worst I've ever done 
still hold a grudge against somebody else and then come to this table and receive his grace? How can I bear witness to the grace that I've received if I'm still holding others? And so Jesus teaches parables on that, that the way we relate to others and the forgiveness we show to others and the love that we have to others and the way we serve others and the way we raise others above ourselves and put them before us, that those all point to and have bearing on our relationship with a God who has humbled himself and died for us and suffered for us. Christ brought us into his kingdom, and he calls us to live in a way that reflects the grace we have been shown and reflects the unity of that. So who are you thinking of in your mind needs to hear this? Robin showed me a Facebook meme. It was something about, dear God, I hope the person two pews in front of me heard that message and was convicted. (laughs) I have to admit When I saw that, I thought of three other people. (laughs) Isn't it so much easier to think of somebody else who needs to hear than ourselves? Is there something you're holding against someone else? Is there something where you're not walking in humility? Is there something you're holding on to? Is there something that you're not letting go of? Is there somewhere where... You've been passive in trying to reconcile, where you, you have been holding back instead of being eager to maintain the bond. You know, for some, it's not, maybe not even forgiveness, maybe not even bearing the grudge. For some, maybe it's, I'm just not going to open my life that much to others. Maybe it's need to take a step to, to start making connections closer with others. Where is it that you need to walk worthy of your calling? Now unto him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine be honor and glory and power forever. Amen.